Good morning. <clears throat> Our uh, scripture lesson this morning comes from 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8, as Jim read earlier. Um, and you can follow me along with it. On, it's on page 843 in the Pew Bibles if you'd like to follow with me. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteousness, righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning we're finishing a series entitled Olympic Faith, What It Takes to Win. And I've really appreciated uh, the feedback I've received from a number of you, whether uh, in person or in email, and uh, just how uh, this has challenged you in a lot of ways, and I'm glad that it has. Uh, We talked a few weeks ago about how it takes discipline uh, in the spiritual life as we walk with Christ. Later on, we talked about perseverance. Last week, we talked about contentment. And this morning, as we finish this series, appropriately enough, we're talking about finishing strong. You know, you can tell a lot about people sometimes based on what they decide to put on their own personal tombstone. Uh, Daniel Webster just had five words, which I think is really cool. He was a well-known politician, a lawyer, advocate. But what he has on his monument are five words, the gospel, a divine reality. Did I say five words? The gospel, a divine reality. Okay, I'll go back to remedial math someday. Uh, Winston Churchill, on his tombstone, it says, I am ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. Um, Supposedly in eastern Kentucky, there is a preacher's epitaph which says simply, gone to another meeting. I can kind of appreciate that. My favorite, though, and this is apparently a monument somewhere near Wetumpka, Alabama, and it's of a man named Solomon Pease. And this is what it says. It says, Pease is not here, only the pod. Pease shelled out and went home to God. <laughs> now, that's not the actual uh, monument, but supposedly go somewhere near Wetumpka. If somebody would research that, I would appreciate that. But let me ask you this in all seriousness. If you were to write your own epitaph, what would you put on there? It's a means by which you would be remembered, something that you would want to say about yourself, summing up your life in a sentence. Would it say something like, faithful unto death, Uh, she cared, Uh, his family came first, Uh, she shopped till she dropped, whatever it might be. You know, what would it be on there? Well, the tombstone of the Apostle Paul, with the understanding that no doubt he was executed and placed in an unmarked grave, probably, I think his could have said, poured out as an offering, poured out as an offering, giving his all over for the sake of the gospel, really in reckless abandon. That's what he was about. When he came to the end of his life and he knew that he was soon to be executed, He summed up his journey in this way. Let's go to verse 6 in 2 Timothy 4. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. Poured out as an offering. Now that takes us back to Exodus 29, 41, 
when God's people were commanded to pour fermented wine over a meat and grain offering. But there were two facets to that offering. There was a meat offering and a drink offering. When it came to the meat offering, they would actually heat this up, and the aroma was pleasing to God, as it says in Exodus 29. But then it had some physical benefit to the priests, at least the meat offering did. They could eat some of the meat from that animal sacrifice. But when it came to the wine, when it was poured over everything, it could not be retrieved. It was of no physical benefit to the priests or to anyone else. And because of that, they were totally giving that up over to God. They wouldn't retrieve it in any way because they gave it all over to him. There was no attempt or intent of recovering it or saving some of it. And and because of that, I would say Paul definitely lived out his life in self-sacrifice for Christ crucified. He said, you know, my life is poured out like that drink offering. And he's referring to that from the book of Exodus. I like the way uh, John Moffat's old uh, uh, paraphrase puts it here. He says, the last drops of my sacrifice are falling. I like that because I think you and I sometimes tend to let, let our own lives drip out a little at a time, little by little, you know, saving a safe amount for ourselves. But like Mary, when she broke the alabaster jar and just let it flood over Jesus' feet, what we're really called to do is pour ourselves out with reckless abandon for this Christ who died for us. Paul goes on to say that he has fought the good fight. Let's go to the next verse, verse 7. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. I love that word race. We have run into that the last three weeks as we went to 1 Corinthians 9, as we went to Hebrews 12. The word there for race is from the word in Greek, agonizo. It's where we get the word agony. It is an agonizing race. This marathon that you and I run as Christ followers can be like an agonizing marathon. It is not easy at all to do. But here's the Apostle Paul, who in his earlier life was this prestigious Jew, this incredible Bible scholar, but he gave up all of his prestige, his ambitions, really his comfortable life, and lived a very agonizing life on mission, as you well know, for the sake of the gospel. But he's here to say, it's very much worth it. It's very much worth it. Look at the next verse, verse 8. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for those all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. The word prize there, by the way, is is Stephanus. It's where you get the word Stephen or the name Stephen, who himself, as you know, uh, lived an agonizing life, especially right at the end when he was stoned by the Sanhedrin. And yet, even as he confessed faith in Christ at that moment and forgave those who were stoning him, he finished strong. And Paul did that. Paul had this amazing capacity to give God the glory, all the glory in good times and in bad. Uh, it reminds me of in somebody we had at Sanford a few years ago, Tony Dungy. How many of y'all know who Tony Dungy is? Uh, I think is a, a football commentator now, but for quite some time was a coach for the uh, Indianapolis Colts. And I remember in the locker room when he was interviewed after uh, his uh, team won uh, their conference and were heading to the Super Bowl, And the first thing he said was, well, before I say anything else, all credit for anything that has happened to me should go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I love it when somebody says that and the media person gets all nervous and doesn't know what to do in order to be politically correct. And I'm sure later on, as some people wrote, that that probably eliminated Tony Dungy from some lucrative endorsements. But what I found cool about Tony Dungy was later on when he was coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 
And when they had a terrible losing season and he was fired, at the beginning of that press conference, he stood up and the first thing he said was, first of all, I just want you to know that in good times and in the bad, I give God the glory. <laughs> just amazing. In the good times and in the bad. Reminds us of what we talked about with contentment last week with Paul. I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little. I know what it's like to just have boundless, boundless things. I know what it's like to be in incredible want. But in any and all things, I've learned the secret to being content because I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. Tony Dungy, great example of that. Obviously, the Apostle Paul, great example of, of that. And the thing is, they realize it's not about themselves. And it's not about us. And I know we hear that. We know that. But do we act on that principle? Do we live that out? Really saying it's not about me. You know, to pour out ourselves. We've got to pour out our, our self-concern. We've got to pour out our pride because it really is not about us. It's about Christ crucified. You remember Martin Luther? He knew this well. Uh, what's the wonderful hymn he wrote, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross? How does it go? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, thy richest gain I count but what? Anybody know? Loss and pour what on my pride? And pour contempt on my pride. He knew that. Now, Speaking of uh, Martin Luther, it's not on his epitaph, it's not on his tombstone, but do you know his last words on this earth as he was dying in a bed? What were his very last words? It just so happened when I first read them, I had studied enough German and enough Latin because he kind of put some German and some Latin together. And it was, Wir sind Bettler, hocust ferum. That means we are beggars, this is true. And I love that phrase, we are beggars, this is true. What he's saying is we are so small, it doesn't matter what we have achieved, what we have, how much prestige we have, that doesn't mean a hill of beans in the end. We are beggars, this is true. And we are simply blessed and fortunate to be a part of this amazing story of the sovereign God of all things. We're blessed just to be a part of that. I love that. We are beggars, this is true. And he loves us so much in spite of being, being such pitiful sinners in the long run. That's really what we are. We're frail and unworthy, but we're so blessed to be a part of this amazing story. But even as we want to finish strong, let me say this and confess, sometimes we wonder if we're really making a difference. As we pour ourselves out, pour ourselves into a ministry, into people we're trying to reach. So many of you have been on mission trips, I know, and you, you, you get to those moments where you wonder, is what I'm doing making a difference? Or you do an ongoing ministry week in, week out here, and you wonder, what's really taking place, and is anything significant happening? And let me just answer with an unequivocal yes. And if for no other reason, as long as your motive is to glorify God, <laughs> to, to live out in doxology, I know I use that word a lot, but as we doxologize out there, we are being successful, we are winning. If God is being glorified in what we do, and hand over that which we are doing to him in glory, that's working good for the kingdom, no matter how loud it is or quiet, no matter how great or small it is. I've got to go back to my big missions hero, and I know I talk about him a lot, William Carey, who in 1793 set sail from England over to India, never to, never to go back home, was in India for some eight years before he saw his first convert. And it was hard work. It was, yes, agonizing. It was an agonizing marathon for him. And yet, if you read about him and his accomplishments there, he really became 
one of the leading influences on the country of India of all time. This was an Englishman, former shoemaker, and yet he did incredible things. How was he able to hang on for eight years without even baptizing somebody? Because he knew that he was glorifying God in what he was doing. And I found this quote where he's reminiscing over the challenges that he faced, and I think we have it up here. And I just love it because this really captures his heart of pouring out. He says, when I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong, but amongst so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God, and his word is true. Though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they are, and the example of the Europeans, which was apathetic about the gospel, a thousand times worse, though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith, fixed on the sure word, would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. He knew that if he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, as we talked about the other Sunday, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, glorifying him in all we do, God's will does triumph. It did for Carrie who ran that agonizing marathon, and boy, did he finish strong. And what was the key again? Keeping his eyes fixed on the one Lord and Savior. You know, no matter how great or small your acts are, they make a difference. And sometimes it takes a lot of small acts that can make an incredible difference within a week. Which reminds me, oh my gosh, we haven't done this in a while. Here's one of these fanning the flame cards, which is based on 2 Timothy 1.6. I think we've got some at the end of each pew. I think what you should do is the person at the end, open those up and pass them down your pew. Now! And as you're passing them down, keep this in mind. This is what we're asking you to do, and we've done this a couple of times this year. And I just don't want us to forget about this because our theme this year is fanning the flame, proclaiming the gospel with power, love, and self-discipline, which is really based on 2 Timothy 1, 6 and following. And you can do that sometime this week. And again, it can be paying for somebody's groceries behind you. It can be uh, paying for a meal uh, you know, in the drive-thru. It can be, gosh, raking someone's leaves, just calling on somebody and spending some time with them. And give them this. This is not a means by which we're recruiting people to Brookwood Baptist Church. This is a means by which we're living up to our theme. And you can tell them, you know, our pastor is making us do this because it reminds us that in doing so, we're fanning the flame of God's love all over the place. If we all did this collectively in some small, quiet way this week, that will make an incredible difference for the kingdom. So before next Sunday morning, let's not say Sunday morning because it doesn't count if you come here and then give it to your Sunday school teacher with an apple or something, you know, till next Saturday night, be sure to get rid of this in some way where you do some wonderful act of kindness for someone. And it can be as quiet as possible or as loud as possible. But again, let's do that because again, the small acts we do together do make an incredible difference. And it's a means by which you can, in a tangible, concrete fashion, glorify this God that we just simply get to be a part of the story with. Now, I want to introduce you to, to uh, someone who really keeps his eyes fixed as a minister, you know, as he runs his marathon. It was, was it a couple years ago, Rod, that the, the youth came over there? And this is Rod and Gwen Miles over here. Uh, can both of you stand for just a second? Okay, and there's Gwen. Okay, let's welcome them, by the way. Rod, come on up. Uh, it was, it was, was it two years ago, Caleb, y'all went? 
And I remember Caleb coming to the next staff meeting after uh, the youth came back uh, from the mission trip. Did any of y'all go? Raise your hand if you went. Okay, a bunch of you. Okay. Uh, and they went to San Francisco uh, where Rod and Gwen ministered. And he just went on and on about this couple. He said, man, it's so cool what they do. And, and they face these challenges, and yet they just remain so faithful. And he just went on and on and on. I just thought that was so great. And then Jody and Nancy Martin, who I guess were on that trip, is that correct? They just went on and on about them, and apparently y'all have known Jody and Nancy for a long time. That's a missions ministry in and of itself, just, you know, dealing with them. And, uh, no. And, uh, but truly, I was just really struck by how highly they spoke of, the, of this couple. And so I really wanted to talk to a Rod in, for just a second. And Rod, uh, forgive me, I'm just going to kind of informally interview here. But t- tell us, first of all, about the ministry that you and Gwen have there in San Francisco. Okay, well, uh, thanks for having us, and, and honestly, if you would have told me that you were going to ask me questions in the context of William Carey, I would have not yeah. uh, agreed to do, do this. Well, he's, but... up, he... <laughs> he's up here, and right. you're uh, up there too, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, we, we, are, we were uh, just privileged enough to be called to church plants in uh, the probably the most beautiful place in the country. Uh, it's Marin County. If you go over the Golden Gate Bridge, you go into Marin County, and uh, it's a place of unsurpassing beauty in every possible way. It's uh, there's beautiful topography. There's beautiful people. There's beautiful accomplished people. Uh, there's there's uh, famous people and regular folks, and it is a you know it's a magnificent area of the of the country. It is. Uh, I looked in the uh, uh, dictionary uh, the other day, and uh, an unreached people group is where there's less than two percent of the people in an area are uh, Christian or would call Jesus Lord of their life. And so we actually live in an unreached people group. And uh, so we we were called uh, uh, twelve years ago to plant this church, and our desire is that uh, Marin would taste and see that the Lord is good. That's so great, and. Uh, and uh, so- Wonderful to hear, and I'd love to hear as we all face our own, uh, you know, agonizing marathon races and all, what, what challenges have you all faced as you minister there? Well, the, the challenges are uh, many. Uh, probably the, the most, uh, the, or the, the biggest challenge is um, that there's never been a movement of the Holy Spirit there, a significant movement of the Holy Spirit, and so it really is an unreached people's group. The default the default of uh, when the when the when things go wrong, the default is not to seek Jesus or even to even consider that that would be the case. Um, it is an extremely accomplished uh, people. Uh, uh, the most uh, uh, master's degrees per capita. Uh, I think maybe at, at McLean, Virginia, might be right up there with with us. Um, and so, uh, what? It is incredibly self-sufficient. It's a Western culture, and uh, the West is a, a particularly self-sufficient culture. It's a, it, there's a, you know, the people go West to get, you know, to, frankly, to leave the church and to leave uh, things, and Marin County is very much a place like that. And, uh, and so the self-sufficiency is a big issue. Um, 
And then I'd say consumerism is, not in terms of like an ostentatious consumerism, but really a consumerism that if I have a problem, I can buy the solution. There's always a, there's, a, there's sort of this underlying presupposition that um, if I have a problem, there's a solution that, I, there's an expert that I can access and buy his or her time, and they would give me the right, the right solution. And so uh, that is a, a very, like, uh, we, <laughs> we sort of joke that uh, when we meet somebody who comes for the first time, we say, hello, I'm Rod, how are you? Did give you the, and, and uh, you know, what's collapsing in your life, mm-hmm. right? That's the only reason why somebody would come, or somebody's invited them, because there's a, and that's a great reason for people to come, because as beautiful as it is, as accomplished it is, ultimately that runs out. And no matter whether you're in, in uh, Mountain Brook, uh, Alabama, or San Anselmo, California, or Munich, Germany, uh, your accomplishments will run their course, and then you'll be left with you. Mm-hmm. And that's where we uh, welcome them with the radical love of Christ. And we just welcome people in, and we love them, and we encourage them, and we talk to them, and we, t- and we tell them a great story great. that uh, we'll never let them go. That's great. It's funny, Deanna and I were talking, about, uh, talking with a couple uh, this last hour who spent some time uh, in California, Southern California, mm-hmm. And just, and it reminded me because Deanna grew up in South Florida, and I mean that it's not the end thing to go to church, yeah. you know, uh, down there either. And we talked about how you got to really mean business if you go, yeah. and it becomes really your family of faith. And it's kind of like there, there is this kind of mentality of it, it's us against the world or working to try to reach the world. And obviously, you're dealing with even such incredible differences of belief. Uh, and you and I were talking about that yesterday, and uh, that's got to be challenging. So my final question is. What keeps you and Gwen going as you minister there? You know, because it is. That's got to feel at times like a marathon as it does for any ministers in a challenging spot. What keeps you going? Well, uh, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Yeah. Maybe, uh, well, uh, two, two things, but I'll start with a quick story. One is I, I, my sophomore year of college, I went to um, London, and I spent a whole semester there, and I was homesick. And, uh, and I used to watch Cheers at uh, about midnight. It came on BBC Two or something like that. And at the beginning of Cheers, when they, they sing that little song, and at the, one of the scenes at the end is uh, Pops holding up the newspaper that says across the top, we win. Uh, what keeps me going is that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. Uh, Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom, Jesus will consummate his kingdom, and Jesus has given us the great privilege of being stewards and ambassadors and shepherds of that kingdom. And uh, if he's risen from the dead, which I strongly believe he has, then we win. And so there's nothing, you know, you can't take anything from me. Your quote of the the song, you know, uh, you can't, you can't take anything, I can't, I can't lose. And so what keeps me going is the fact is that Jesus did live and die and rise again. Jesus did inaugurate his kingdom. Jesus has, uh, inaug- or has, has asked us to be ambassadors of that kingdom, and we have that great privilege, and we're not going to lose. And so that's what keeps me going. Now, it, it, what also keeps me going is the hands and the feet and the prayers and the encouragements and the love from friends uh, like Anna and Wayne and Meg and Price and Nancy and Jody and people in your church, uh, Caleb and Rebecca and all of you came. You can't know how much it means to us and how lonely it is at times to do what we do. And yet, when you know your friends are praying and they 
they send you a card or they just receive you in their home or they let you use their lake house for pastor's gathering and something like that. Um, anyway, the way you, lo- the way you love people uh, also uh, matters. So being loved well and then just, uh, just knowing that uh, Jesus really is Lord. So, I mean... <laughs> That's, I mean, I, that may sound really simple, but it's we win. true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, like, I, I get to, inv- it doesn't matter how many people disagree with me. It doesn't matter where they've come from or how accomplished they are. I'm inviting them into the, the one thing that will last. Mm. And uh, so I don't have to be defensive. I don't have to be, mm. I can just open my arms, uh, proclaim the lordship of christ and and love them in a radical way that they've never been loved before they're not loved because they're phds they're not loved because they're ceos they're not loved because they're uh, you know the best mom or the most nutritionally pious person or whatever that might might possibly be (laughs) Uh, they're loved because they're loved and that's that's the gospel, right? I, I'm, I don't want to be loved because I'm righteous or because I'm pious, because I'm not. I'm loved because Jesus, in, for his craziness, loved me too. Let's thank Rod and Gwen for their ministry. Thank you, man. Well, what do I need to say after that? My goodness, I love the nutritionally pious. I'm going to... I'm going to use that. And by the way, you inspired me, you know, and, and choirs will sing uh, from the book of Revelation, uh, hallelujah for the Lord, Lord God omnipotent, what? Reigneth. He's already won the war. We still have battles to face, agonies to face, but Rod is exactly right. The, it's already won. In fact, the, I think about the story I tell a lot of times at Easter about that student of mine who I texted. I might have two words on my headstone. Anybody have a thought on what it might be? What? Tomb's empty tomb's empty. And it is. And that's the best of news and how blessed we are. We are beggars, as Luther said, but yet we are so blessed just to be a part of this amazing story. You know, in just a moment, we'll be participating in the Lord's Supper. And you remember what Jesus said, this is this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And I think about Jesus later on hanging on the cross, and one of the final words he said not in tragedy, but in victory, was tetelestai, tetelestai. It is finished. It is finished. It is done. We do win. I don't say that in a triumphalist fashion, like we're better than other people. My gosh, we know we're not, but we are in a better place. So why not reach out to people, even who are so incredibly successful, uh, who seem to have everything and yet don't have Christ? And thank God you guys minister to so many of those folks, and and our prayers and encouragements will be with you as well. Now, I mentioned Luther earlier on, and I thought about uh, this litany of triumph. Look in your bulletin, if you would, and we're going to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper with this uh, litany. It's called the Saints Triumphant. It's a litany of the Lutheran Church, speaking of Martin Luther. And this is uh, used responsively in uh, Lutheran churches at times when they're actually celebrating uh, both the death and resurrection of Jesus. So in a moment, I'm going to lead us in this as we enter into the Lord's Supper. For those of you who, who have not uh, uh, participated in the Lord's Supper in the way that we sometimes do it, we're going to come forward to receive the bread and the cup. And so uh, you guys over here will, will uh, exit out your pews, beginning with the folks in the front, and go out towards the wall, come up, get the bread and the cup. Go back to where you're sitting. Don't Please don't feel rushed. Go back 
take a few moments just, just to meditate on this gift that God has given you, his body and his blood. And then when you feel led to do so as we're listening to music, you can partake of it when you feel led to do so. Uh, folks in the middle here will come forward this way, beginning with the rows at the front, and then go back to where you're seated. Same thing, just, just uh, partake of it. Uh, when you're ready to do so in a prayerful fashion. You folks over here, beginning at the front rows up here, come up and then go back to where you're sitting. But I just thought of this as I was uh, quoting Martin Luther, how we are such beggars and this is true, and yet in the long run we are triumphant because Christ is already on his throne. He's already on his throne. It's one. We just still have some agonies to face until we reach him face to face. So with that spirit of thanks, I'd like to ask that we stand before we receive the elements And let's read responsibly. You don't have to read the actual scripture reference, but just read the verse itself. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Be faithful even to the point of death. The crown of life. You may be seated. The table awaits you. Come and receive it. Remembering again, the tomb is already empty. We have reason to celebrate and finish the race strong. It awaits.